we can recognize what it's like to inhabit the living present. The past is gone. Gone. Future, just an idea. There's only this immediate and direct experience. We don't want to miss it. So embracing this life, we connect again with that which is always here, at least as long as we're alive, which is our body. We let our eyes close softly and we feel the touch of our eyes closing, our eyelids, touch of our rear, touch of our hands. Feel the shape or the form of the body. And we settle into that experience of our body when the idea of our body melts away and we just feel sensation. And then we notice that some of those sensations are the waves of the breath. But we let go of the idea of the breath and we just feel those waves of sensation wherever they're most clear. And we connect with those sensations and we sustain that connection through the duration of that wave. And when we don't feel any obvious sensation, we rest in that quietness after what we call the in-breath, the out-breath. We sink deeper into a direct experience of what we call here and now. And as we feel the gentle stillness, quiet, even though our primary support and anchor and these waves of sensation, the breath, that tool that we use to bring attention together with our sensations, mind and body together, a tool that brings focus, a calm abiding. It also is a tool that we use in behalf of being able to notice everything else equally, graciously. And as we ride the waves of sensation, other more distinct sensations will call our attention. Aching, burning, stabbing, itching, tingling, squeezing, searing, cool, warm, hot, vibrating. And when that quality of sensation fills our awareness, we greet it with that loving awareness. And we completely accept that that sensation has become stronger than the wave of the breath sensation. And we notice that 
from time to time we are able to notice that it's pleasant, it's unpleasant, or it's neither pleasant or unpleasant. That it is this quality of feeling, pleasant and unpleasant and neutral, that often determines whether we, whether our mind moves into reactivity, liking, disliking, spacing out. So we try to get to know not just the quality of sensation, but the feeling tone that accompanies it, without turning it into a project, just highlighting from time to time that feeling pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Sometimes, especially very strong, unpleasant sensations, there is a tendency to react with some kind of contraction, fear, resistance, contentiousness. And even though our intention is to meet that predominant unpleasant sensation with openness, kindness, we notice that we're contracting, reacting. So we also want to include that reaction in our attention. Welcome that. Feel that. Feel the unpleasantness of our reaction. But sometimes our reaction becomes so strong that we're not able to either be with our reaction or with that predominant sensation. At those times, it can be useful to reconnect with your breath or rest your attention on some place in your body that is more neutral or pleasant. Kind of regain your composure. Relax. Sometimes the softening of our attitude will allow us to accommodate our experience more easily. Sometimes the reactions in our mind are clearly the most predominant experience. The hindrances that we've spoken about, the wanting mind, the aversive mind, the restless mind, the doubting mind, and other states of the heart, mind, sad, happy, joyful, spacious, easeful. And when these mental states, states of the heart, are stronger than the waves of breath, we meet them graciously. Even strong emotions, we welcome them, we accept them. We open to anger. You know, we're wonderful at thinking about our emotions. We're not so good at feeling them. So we expand beyond whatever narrative or thoughts about our feelings and we feel them in the body. We let them roll through our body and mind like weather. They are changing conditions. All of our moods, all of our mental states, all of our sensations, they are changing conditions arising and passing by themselves. But in order to know this, we need to connect with them. Feel their quality, pleasant, unpleasant, and notice what happens to them. Notice whether the feelings get stronger, stay the same, fade away, morph into other feelings. And with sensations, feelings, when they are no longer predominant or compelling, faded away, we can notice that cessation. The quietness that is left. And either rest in that quietness, 
till the next experience arises or reconnect again to the waves of sensation that we call the breath. Since our practice is about welcoming the entire creative display of experience, you will also be visited by thoughts and images. And as we've been emphasizing that thoughts are a natural experience. Thoughts are to our door of perception called mind like a sound is to the ear, smell is to the nose, taste is to the tongue. It's completely natural. And thoughts also have a valence, a feeling tone, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. So we let the thoughts appear and disappear through our mind like clouds drifting through an open sky, non-interfering, non-reactive, but interested in not just the fact of something arising, but in how it behaves, what happens to the experience that you are noticing. How are you relating to it? Are you relaxed in your loving in your noticing? Are you trying to make something happen? This is greed in the mind. Are you resistant? It's aversion in the mind. Are you spaced out? Delusion in the mind. Are you personalizing things? Settling back into the moment, relying on the ever-present, ever-available fact that you have awareness. Noticing the breath, feeling it intimately, or noticing whatever is predominant. Just this moment. Just this presently arising experience. Soft attention. But alert. Gentle, yet precise. Everything comes to this moment.
when you realize you've been lost in thought. This is good news. It means you've reawakened, you're already back. Present time, awareness. And once you've awakened to where you are, in behalf of staying anchored to this unfolding present, we connect again with our ever-present body, breath, or whatever is most immediate. Appreciate that moment of awakening. Just this moment.
thank you for your practice. Joy to sit with you. Uh, as I was sitting toward the end of the sitting, the words came into my mind, uh, here now, here now, attention, attention. And then, of course, the association came with that, which was, oh, that's from Aldous Huxley's Island. And, the, and I heard the little birds saying, here now, here now, attention, attention. Now, as we open up in our practice, and as we settle into a little more quiet, we see that those thoughts that arose in my mind, they arose unbidden, selflessly. They arose, they vanished. There was not a little agent in there saying, now think this. Not personal in the way that they appear, of course, based on conditions. The condition of having read the, the book, The Island, and have it, had it made an impact. And then sometime 50 years later, <laughs> pops into the mind. So it's wild. But if we can relate to our thinking mind, our moods, emotions, feelings, sensations, with that same understanding of their changing, selfless nature, then we don't take the blame for the, the difficult thoughts, mind states, and we don't take credit for the beautiful ones. But we enjoy them in a spirit of equanimity, we enjoy them equally. So, Are there any questions this morning about the instructions, anything you notice in the practice? Please, and just before you speak, just want to encourage people, in case you're bashful, that your question will likely be of some benefit to somebody else. So don't... Thank you for... My intention in those comments uh, was the encouragement to um, do the full breadth of the Buddha's teachings in mindfulness. And the teachings begin with uh, focusing the attention on the breath. And uh, many people stop there and just come back to the breath. And we can use the breath as a way to um, avoid the thoughts and emotions and the rest of the reality of our experience. And in the beginning, it's, it's quite um, uh, beneficial to learn how to ignore the mind. But in the long run, uh, second foundation, third foundation, fourth foundation, as the uh, instructions expand, as how I was expanding this morning, uh, we're asked to actually turn towards the mind and not just yank the attention back to the breath every time a thought arises, but to actually just observe the mind's thinking all by itself, as Howie is, is pointing to this morning. And that's really a core uh, practice and skill and where liberation is really going to come from, not from just ignoring it, but changing our relationship to it by being mindful of it. Does that make sense? how we answer that part, yeah. You're perfectly welcome to, to make a soft mental label of your sensations, moods, everything. But it's most important that, you're, that, the, that 95% of your sensitivity and attention is to the feeling of it, the experience of it. The, the noting should be just a little... It, it's, the metaphor that's often used is as transparent as a dragonfly wing. Just essentially saying, it's okay that you're here, I see you, this is what's happening right now. And then 
have it be like an open hand that says, okay, what's here, and, what ha- and see what happens. Yeah, you can do it with everything. But you don't want it to get so loud that, it, that the words become more uh, meaningful than the direct experience. It's really about direct experience, and it's so rare to experience our life in an unfiltered way, not filtered through our conceptual mind as much. But we do use these subtle concepts that most closely approximate the the simplicity of what's happening, sometimes as a useful tool. In the very back, please. Self-judgment comes up when you come back. How do you deal with the judgment that arises automatically when you wake up to where you are, when you realize you wandered? So first of all, the, the conventional view is that I was here and I wandered and that there's a certain kind of agency to that whole process, like you did it, and you did it wrong. And so that that subtle belief has a certain kind of impact, and that belief usually is born of of not really seeing how that process really works, how the wandering happens by itself, and the waking up happens by itself. And it's nobody's fault, just as Noah was saying last night. So the more you see, the again, that selfless quality of everything that happens, the less you take, it, you take the blame for it. In the meantime, sorry, this is kind of loud, is there any way to turn it on? In the meantime, when it's beautiful that you notice that, because that, that automatic reaction probably functions a lot in your life in different ways. And so each time you, you could say you aerate it with mindful attention, you're actually loosening it a little bit. So you're creating that, that space of freedom where you're no longer bound up in that reaction, you're noticing it. So it's, it's, it's great. And then if that is your reaction, if it is the reaction that's arising at that time, that becomes the next thing to be mindful of, to see that again as a changing condition, not me, not mine. And then it's no different than your breath. So it's terrific that you're noticing it. And if it gets really harsh, then you can always use a, some kind of gesture of kindness, you know, just some kind of thought replacement in a way, which can sometimes be useful. Please. I have a question about walking meditation. Um, I've never had a lot of instruction around it, and just about analyzing it too much. Is the focus purely on walking? Because I find myself sometimes... Um, It's not okay to see a rabbit. (laughs) 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 Or trees. I think that that's, it's totally fine to, it's inevitable that you'll be pulled to the beauty here. And the the creatures, we're not often this intimate with the the creatures, and so intimate with such an intense environment. So at those moments where you are pulled to something like that, I love that you said stop and really take it in. You'll find, though, that if you give yourself primarily to the, the steps, step by step, you keep gathering your attention, sustaining it, bringing your mind and body together, being as simple and present as you can, that when you do stop, when you are called to something, it will be that much more vivid, non-separate, intimate, you know, really quite striking. And it's often, there's often a kind of upsurge of, of gladness and love and all those things that Noah was talking about last night. But if, on the other hand, you're just, as my brother calls it, a beacon head, kind of looking here, looking there, your mind and body will not likely settle as much, and you actually won't enjoy that experience of the rabbit as much. So if you can, really give yourself to the to and fro, but so as not to feel confined in that, periodically stop and take things in. And while we're on the walking, just a, a few little 
reminders, people tend to impose some notion of how fast you should walk or how slow. And what I found very helpful, because I was one of those speedy ones. Somebody talked about being speedy. Maybe it was in the... In fact, I knew how fast I was. I knew that I was slightly mentally ill. You know, that, that walking would be good for me as I couldn't slow down at all. But then I, as I played with it a lot over the years, I realized there are four things that really make a difference. One is a pace that I can stay relaxed. That's key. Relaxation is an essential ingredient in any kind of harmonizing of our mind and body. If you're tensing, it doesn't work. So relaxed, balanced, a pace that you can stay in balance. If you try to move too slowly and your mind isn't settled, you'll teeter or you'll tense up. So you want to be, you want to be relaxed, balanced. You want to be interested. And if you walk too quickly, you won't notice much. If you don't notice much, you won't be so interested. But if you incline a little bit towards slower, you'll notice a little more. You'll get a little more interested. Energy will arise. That gladness will arise. And you'll, you'll want to keep going. So interested and then, of course, attentive. You know, continuous. The secret ingredient is no breaks. The whole day. in the most relaxed way, with the full understanding, is, is that we are, I don't know if you've heard about the, you know, the study from Harvard where people were beeped uh, 250,000 times, 2,000 people, and, and asked what was in their mind, and 47% of the time they were spaced out. So we are trained to be, our life to be pervaded by what's not present. <laughs> so that's, that's our condition, and, but meditators can actually Change that a little bit, but you're going to space out, so be gentle with that. Even though leaning on the edge of continuity and really firing it up a little bit is really helpful. You had your hand up in, yeah, in the dark hair. The question is about using t- t- present touch. I think in terms of yourself on this retreat, not at somebody else, <laughs> but touch is a beautiful way of accessing metta. And I often recommend that people make some kind of physical gesture because it, you know, it simulates that kind touch of a per- parent. And you've probably read the science on this as well, that when we touch our heart, uh, rub our heart, it, it actually st- stimulates the vagal nerve and activate and releases oxytocin and it mimics kind parenting, you know, which many of us may not have had, but, but we get some of the benefits of it. And a, a mindful attention also does the same thing. If we meet something with interest and care, same thing. So by all means, does that speak to your question or no? Oh, in the suttas. No, it's just California. Mental, verbal, and physical Leela says in the suttas, there's mental, physical, and verbal. Mental, verbal, and physical acts of loving kindness. So, mental isn't enough. Beautiful. Please. Uh, the, the first uh, night, Jack made the point that there's a, a difference between fearlessness and the experience of fear. And I, I'd be curious to hear your take on that. That's a great question. You know, my glib answer, my first answer would be to be able to be uh, be able to feel fear and not become fearful, not be so identified with it. To be able to feel fear builds fearlessness. And it is a fearless act itself, just to let yourself feel afraid. So, 
I'm not sure, it, I, I might need to hear more about your question, why that is important to you. Well, it's, uh, you know, what to do when fear comes up. And, yes. Uh, I'm getting the sense that the more I uh, attend to my breath, I have a foundation to deal with it. That's, that's wonderful, and you can certainly use your breath as a resource, as a support for working with fear. But that's really on behalf of being able to slowly, slowly accommodate the feeling of fear. So again, we usually fixate on what we're, what we're fearful of, on the object of fear, but we often actually don't feel fear. And fear has a kind of physical corollary, usually. It's rumbling, and, and, but sometimes when we feel fear, if we're not trained, if, our, if, if we're not so practiced at it, we start to be afraid of being afraid, and, then we, and it compounds. So as not to have it compound, do you want to touch it, move to your breath or something more easy to be with, and come back, just like we were talking about in working with strong sensations. But you want to lean into it a little bit just to say, let me see if I can feel this for a moment. And if you start to become fearful of being afraid, then it's not cheating to move your attention back to your breath or to something easier to be with. You had your hand up, so sorry. Last one. Two questions? Last of two questions. My first is, um, as I'm beginning to drop into my body, I'm finding I'm still experiencing my body as extremely threatening, and so I get flooded with um, a whole variety of different things I can focus on, but I'm wondering if you could please comment on the trajectory of that experience. Yeah, still, uh, in settling into her body, she's still finding her body to be quite threatening. Really, in some ways, in the same vein as that question about fear, you know, in general, it would be, it's usually, I love this metaphor that I read in this Jewish journal called Tikkun, where they say when, you're, when your hand gets struck by a hammer, all of your attention goes there, and you forget that 99% of your body is actually fine. And so that, that's why it's so useful sometimes to to find, have places in your body that do feel safe. Just simple sensations like your hands touching or your feet touching, whatever it might be. And to use those resources because it gives your mind an understanding is not everything is a monolith of terror. So that's one thing. Sometimes it, it, we cannot use our body as an, as a, um, an anchor. Sometimes it's you might have to use sound or you might have to open your eyes and use the visual field, you know, if, especially when your body feels so threatening. And so you work with it and you work with it wisely and lovingly in the way that, that, um, that you would. And so, it's, so not to impose that notion, I need, to, I need to sink into my body, that's what the instruction is. We, it's much more nuanced in terms of, especially when we have a lot of uh, terror associated with being in our body. Anyway, I wish we had more time, but there are some announcements before we change gears today or before we continue our practice. Joanna, sitting over there, is, is uh, kind enough to put up a sign-up for individual meetings uh, for people who are not having interviews today, not having group meetings or individual meetings today, not scheduled uh, you can sign up for one, and there are a few slots for Joanna, between 11.30 and 12.30? Uh, 2.30 to 4.30, 5-ish. 2.30 to 4.30 or 5-ish. And there are also today, um, there's a towel exchange over at the dining hall. And we're starting to find a little bit of shortage of cushions, so if you're not using cushions, please put them in that closet in the back. Also, be helpful if you're not, um, there's some people that are looking for chairs and people have their chairs staked out, so please be generous with the kind of letting the chair go and not necessarily saving it for the Dharma talk, if you can help that. Um, and George will be moving today from the staff dining room to apartment L. 3L, so the third block of apartments, number L, and again, the chair will be out there with his name on it. 
And another reminder, maybe this wasn't said yet, but the interviews are the chance for us to find out what's happening with you, the chance for you to find out, uh, to work with your practice. They are not optional. And so we really urge you to show up at your meetings and take advantage of the opportunity. And let's see, that's it, I think. Oh, and please be on time for your interviews, even though we may run over. <laughs> and, and when you do come in, uh, you don't have to be prepared, but if there is a, a question, a special thing, just lead with that and, and try to be um, just sensitive to the time, and we will try to be sensitive to the time too. So have a great day of practice, and please continue. Transition just as important. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.